0: This week, we'll talk about biohacking and improving productivity. We have a special guest today, Ruslan. Ruslan is a data scientist who lives in Berlin. He has tried a lot of healthy and not so healthy things to stay focused and productive. Eventually, he found a bunch of techniques, uh, protocols, concepts about our brain, body, and mind that might be helpful to others in the data community. And today, we will talk about all these things that he discovered. By the way, Ruslan is looking for a job, so if you need an awesome data scientist to join your team, you can find him on LinkedIn. I also will add his contact details in the show notes.
1: So welcome to the show, Ruslan. Thank you so much. It's, I'm very excited to be here.
0: I'm very excited to have you here today, too. The questions for today's interview were prepared by Johanna Bayer. Thanks, Johanna, as always, for your help. And before we go into our main topic of biohacking, let's start with your background. Can you tell us about your career journey so far?
1: Yeah, sure. So after the high school, I went to study international business management. And then I moved to Berlin and finished my bachelor in in this field and did marketing. And I worked in several SaaS companies afterwards related to marketing. And it was more like a for business side of things. So I was talking to clients and I was just very bored. And then I realized that I want to do something more exciting for me. And I went for my master's. And in my master's, I studied business intelligence and process management, and I did some data science projects, and I completely fell in love with the topic. So after these projects, I realized I want to pursue a career in data science and uh, deal with machine learning models, help business make data-driven decisions and make the world a little bit better through this. And uh, that's how I got into data science. I landed uh, first an internship at oilex and then I have been working there as well as a data scientist. And I also did my master thesis about deep learning. So it's a topic very dear to my heart as much as productivity and all the stuff I'm going to talk about. So, yes.
0: And when did you discover this topic of biohacking and productivity? Was it during your bachelor degree years or later, or when you already were into data science?
1: Uh, actually I've been interested in that for a long time. I just didn't know that it's called data science, sorry, biohacking until recently. But I was always researching about some productivity tips or mental models and frameworks, how you can organize your time. Because I was one of those students who didn't study much during the actual normal study times. And then I would write the papers before the deadline and prepare in the last day for the exam. And I was always thinking
0: like every one of us yeah like so many most people i mean at least
1: <laughs> Yeah, and i thought to myself after another de- deadline that oh, i wish next time i would actually properly prepare and then i thought how do i trick my brain into doing this or what are the habits that i should have in order to do this and that's how i got into this topic and then it turned out that it's not just about mental models but also like your health and some protocols you can do to just help you in uh doing the work you want to do in the best way possible for you
0: Yeah. so what are these habits that helps you during your studying and then later not postponing everything
1: till the last minute postponing some stuff to the last minute i mean yeah. i realize that i mostly postpone stuff because i understand that the solution i'm going to create is not perfect so if it's not perfect it doesn't really make sense to start it it. And then once the deadline approaches, you just realize you have to do it. And then perfectionism, perfectionism goes away and then you just do it. So I just learned to work around it, to be honest. I realized that if I'm starting a project and I, I'm not happy about particular things that are challenging things, then I just need to give myself some time to think about it and then accept parts of it that, that are not perfect. And then I feel that I'm unblocked and I can just go on and work on it. So that's kind of my ultimate hack for solving procrastination. For example.
0: Okay. So one thing is having deadlines. So this is doing things uh, almost last minute because it helps you to fight perfectionism. And then the other thing is just accepting that it will never be perfect, right? And then exactly you have to do it. Is there more to that, or just these two things? Should we finish our episode now?
1: Oh no no I mean that's like genuinely about procrastination but procrastination is not the only thing right that I was trying to solve with biohacking so uh for me it's also about how to stay consistent in learning some things that don't have deadline for example right or if even if there's a deadline you know and you need to like focus very intensely on a subject how do you do it like how can you help yourself to do it and also procrastinating and leaving everything to the last minute is very, very stressful and not healthy. So I wanted to understand how can I have a better, healthier lifestyle, and actually work from my strength to solve the tasks and do what I love. So that's how, yeah, biohacking can help. And
0: how is uh, biohacking different from like usual productivity methods like having deadlines or having a plan or having things like that?
1: I think it's a bit more grounded in science. So Biohacking, actually just a term, it's, it's a buzzword and it can be explained by, in like in so many different ways from genome editing, you know, to simple, like going for a walk or taking a break from the screen every half an hour. So it's really like the definition that you give, you give it is, can be very different. So the biohacking that I'm practicing mostly is behavioral and I don't do like special drugs or medicines, but only vitamins and and so that helps you overall, doesn't affect your, let's call it chemical state very much. So without chemical interventions, and I found that just behavioral things We will not speak about uh, mushrooms today. Yeah, not, no, I'm not talking about that today. No. Okay. <laughs> I mean, there are like really a lot of extreme things that people can do. So I just want, I mean, when I started doing it, I thought that for me, it should be behavioral again so that I can create some habits that can help me and uh, it should be affordable, right? And it should be something very easy so that the barrier to entry is very low and anybody can can try it out, see for themselves if it's helpful or not. So that's kind of my approach to biohacking. Yeah, I thought in the beginning, it's also just productivity tips and tricks and just general knowledge about health uh, and brain. But it turned out that this is part of biohacking. So, and it's very powerful and useful. So that's why, that's how I got into it.
0: So taking a break, going for a walk. So these are, these considered biohacking in your definition.
1: I think so. For example, going for a walk is related to dopamine production in our system. And dopamine is a hormone that basically drives the effort for us to do something. And dopamine is also a hormone that is related to motor movements. So when we go for a walk, we literally produce dopamine that can later be used or help us to like study and learn and work better. So it is one of the ways to increase the dopamine in the morning. uh, And it has some other great benefits like light consumption. Uh, So it is biohacking, actually, if you do it in the right moments.
0: What is this dopamine? We actually, I think a few interviews ago, we spoke with uh, my colleague, Sadat, who was describing his experience of going from individual contributor, software engineer to a manager. And then one of the things he mentioned there was that when he was an engineer, he would often get this uh, what he referred to as dopamine shots. He solves a problem, he fixes a bug, then he, had, he gets a shot of dopamine, and then he feels good about this. But when he became a manager, uh, he get like the gratification he was getting was delayed because it's not him who is doing all these things, but somebody else, and it was quite difficult for him. Back then, I didn't really ask him what is dopamine, but now I have a chance to ask you. So what is this and how is it related to what he was talking about?
1: Sure. So first of all, I need to make a disclaimer that I am myself not a neuroscientist, right? Uh, I just use the general knowledge available, even though I'm trying to be a bit more scientific about my research and conclusions and look for relevant sources. I will try to give you my definition and understanding of, of dopamine. So we have different hormones in our brains that are responsible for different actions we do and dopamine is a hormone that is produced in our brain on a certain cadence with a certain volume so it's basically responsible for us doing some stuff so us reaching a goal going for a walk it's responsible for motor movements in our you know in our body that's what it does it's different compared to serotonin for example which is a hormone of like happiness and feeling good inside of your body so if you i don't know take a bath for example and it's very nice so you just had some good food even though food increases dopamine like the good feeling you have in your stomach gives you serotonin so it's the a bit opposite of dopamine because dopamine is something you need to do outside of your body to something from the outside that gives you dopamine to feel better
0: why does fixing a bug give you dopamine
1: because you solve a problem Uh and it requires you to understand the problem the journey it takes and then eventually you solve the bug, you solve the problem, your brain celebrates it, gives you more dopamine and sets you up for fixing more bugs in the future. I mean, okay. if, if you think about it, it's really grounded in like basic things. Like you need to wo- walk around as an organism to find some food, right? So if you find sugar, for example, we get a lot of dopamine from having sugar because sugar was not highly available for our ancestors. Right? So that's why our brain currently rewards us a lot for eating sugar stuff. And it's the same for doing some mental exercises as well, I think.
0: Yeah, interesting. So can you tell us about your journey into biohacking? So during your your university times, you were procrastinating, putting off things till the last moment, then you realized maybe it's not the, the best way of doing this. And then at some point you discovered biohacking. So how did it happen? And what exactly did you discover there? What kind of things did you try there? And how did they
1: help you? Sure. I would say the first thing that I tried that was very influential for me was meditation. And meditation is a very good technique to to stay focused and alert. And it helps you to strengthen your prefrontal cortex so you would have a better impulse control. What is
0: uh, prefrontal? What? Yeah,
1: It's it's a part of your brain that is located like in front. So prefrontal in front, and it's related to cognition. Uh, So cognition is what? Cognition is thinking. So all the high-level thinking that you have, like not your primitive brain that wants to eat and sleep, but rather the brain that solves a bug or plans vacations, is located in. Or
0: talks right now, right? So this is what we use now for communicating. I think so. Yes. Right now, in this moment.
1: Yeah, we have our prefrontal. Uh, lobe quite active nowadays so
0: it's somewhere here right yeah so For those a... who listen to this not see i'm touching my forehead right now
1: so yeah so i started with meditation and that was very good i had a lot of great feelings from it and it was i mean when i talk about meditation i mainly talk about sitting in the chair and breathing and accounting like to yourself from one to ten and just feeling your body so, this kind of like meditative state. And I'm not talking about any like spiritual things because I didn't really practice that. So, that was one of the things that helped me a lot.
0: Maybe just wanted to talk a bit about that. So, did it not feel to you like waste of time when you tried that? Like, because you're sitting in a chair and you're breathing and counting while you can actually work on things?
1: Yeah. Well, the thing is that when I think about our bodies, I think that we're not made. The function to solve bugs 24-7. You know, we usually have our own cycles in life. Like we obviously go to sleep and then we wake up and we have certain time when we are the most productive. And then our productivity goes lower a little bit. So we need to take breaks. Like there are sleeping cycles of one and a half hours. So we would fall asleep and then we would wake up. And then these cycles continue as we go throughout the day. So you cannot expect that you would be super hyper-focused for three or five hours straight. You need to take breaks. So usually because social media is very addictive, we would take breaks with social media. But meditation is a very good, healthy way to get a break. And uh, it also helps with learning a lot, for example, because when we are learning something, our brain changes and it's called neuroplasticity. And the brain change actually happens when we sleep or when we meditate, for example. It's a protocol called non-sleep deep rest. And this is exactly when the brain is changing. So... If you learn something, meditation is also very powerful.
0: How did you open your mind to try meditation? You just he- heard that it's good? or?
1: Yeah, I just heard from a lot of people that meditation is good. And I followed some, you know, CEOs of some companies on Twitter that said, hey, meditation is very nice. You should try it out. And that's how I gave it a shot. And mm-hmm. I use the different apps for guided meditation. I know there's the one I use. is like open source and it's called Medito. And basically available for free, and you can just download and use it. There is going to be a person with a nice voice telling you close your eyes, relax, count from one to ten, and it usually is like five minutes, fifteen minutes, twenty minutes. I didn't experiment when I was doing one-hour meditation every single day for a month because another very famous investor, Naval Ravikant, he suggested to do this. It was a very different type of meditation, though. But it was also very helpful
0: how did you understand that it's helpful
1: well first of all we it's it's about awareness and being self-aware so we have so many thoughts and so many things happening with us right now nowadays we have complete information overflow we hear so many things see so many things uh, in instagram like in social media basically That having a break to just listen to yourself, try to understand how you're feeling feels like a very big relief, even though it's uncomforting in the beginning, it's not something we usually used to. In my experience, it really felt like a relief. And then you get out of the meditation and you feel relaxed. You feel like you took a break and now you can go back into doing whatever you you want.
0: They've been doing this for quite some time, right?
1: Yeah, I think I have like on and off moments. So sometimes I'm doing it, sometimes I'm not doing it. And I think it's also okay because I don't want my productivity system to be like punishing me for not doing something. You know, I'm trying to listen to myself, see like, do I have a resource as they call it for it right now or not? And if I don't, it's also fine. But when I'm studying a lot, like nowadays, for example, I meditate as well because it helps. Because it's too much, right?
0: You need to go through... I consume a lot of information, process a lot of information, right? So you need to give your mind a break. Exactly.
1: I see. And that's, you know, some cognition happens while we're meditating, anyways. So the brain process. Cognition is again learning, right? Or what? Thank you. Yeah. It's happening while we meditate as well, just in the background. We're not aware of it. And the brain makes sense of information we learned and updates the neural network.
0: Okay. So you tried meditation. What did you try
1: after that? After meditation, I, there were like a lot of topics that I've heard about, but I wasn't sure how scientific they are. So for example, I Was it
0: important for you to, for the thing to be scientific?
1: Yeah, more or less. Because, well, I'm a data scientist and I've always been a fan of scientific methods, you Mm -hmm. know, so everything we do should be verified, you know, blindly controlled studies was like some good experiments with a scientific base. And I wanted to do it, not because of a placebo, just- Although placebo is a very powerful tool, and this is maybe part of a mental attitude we can talk about. But I wanted to know that it actually helps somehow to increase and you know reach your goals. I tried to find some information about meditation, and I saw that it's indeed very, very like supported by studies, reduces stress, helps you to focus better, and you learn faster, and so on. And then I tried cold showers, for example. I'm not a big fan of it right now. <laughs> uh, it's too but... cold now for cold showers. It is a bit too cold, indeed. <laughs> yes. And then I also tried to have like a proper approach with light, for example, which is not many people know about. When we wake up, we need to get a lot of light, and then when we go to bed, we should have very little light. And uh, I didn't know about this protocol, and I've heard about it on a podcast, and uh, I've been a big fan ever since because when we talk about health and biohacking, like sleep is the foundation of everything. So the podcast I'm talking about is uh, called Huberman Lab Podcast, and there is a professor Huberman who talks about light, and uh, he's a neuroscientist, and he says that if people would ask him what is the most important factor for productivity and for health across all the domains, he would say it's light. And that kind of makes sense, because we live on planet Earth, and we have daily cycles. So our bodies, as a revolution adapted to the planet condition, and we want to wake up with the sun and go to bed fall asleep when the sun is out uh, it means during the winter we should go sleep at 3 o'clock it's a good one but <laughs> no, no. Uh, it means we should get try to get more light uh, uh-huh. as, we, as much light as we can in the morning when we wake and uh, just have little light before you go to bed mm-hmm.
0: how do you do this like just uh, the usual bulbs that we uh, light bulbs that we have in our homes are sufficient for that or we need to have some fancy setup.
1: The main principle behind this is that we need to get enough light into the ice. And it just happens to be that being outside gives you the most light, even if it's cloudy outside, because the the glass on the windows, it blocks a lot of light. And um, you can even measure it with your phone. You can download some app to measure the lumen inside the home or and outside. So being outside in the morning is really helpful to get enough light. And this sets you up for the whole day. So it sets your proper cortisol and melatonin cycles, which are like other two hormones that are related, to how active our body is and how sleepy we are. So just being outside gives you a lot of light.
0: So that's why it's called behavioral biohacking, right? So because you don't really take any mushrooms, you just know that your body needs light. So you go outside in the morning, even though in Berlin, sometimes the mornings are really depressive during winter. You still go out and then it gives you some light to enough light to sustain you throughout the day, right?
1: Yeah. And it's about, again, our like evolution development. We needed the light to signal our body that now is the time to go and pick berries or hunt or do the work. And we are biologically the same as we were 100,000 years ago, maybe even 200,000 years ago. Even though our lifestyle changed a lot, our biology has not. So it, in my practice with biohacking, I try to replicate a lot of like this natural way of things, how our body should function, you know, in a healthier way. And getting enough light in the morning is, for example, good. Interestingly, if you have a candlelight in the night, it doesn't... So I would just say that if you have a lot of light in the night, then it messes up with your cycles. It's proven that like high exposure to light in a in the night lowers your dopamine level for next day so you will not be as motivated to do stuff on the next day so artificial light are not very good and if you have some light it should be behind your eye level for example
0: behind your eye level how how does it actually so i'm sitting right here so this is my eye level right yeah. so i'm pointing at my eyes i need to put something right here like a small lamp below my eyes so yeah. maybe in f- near my laptop
1: right exactly where so, do so at any point of time, if you want to use some light, it should be mm-hmm. below your eye level so that you would need to look down on it, not up. Mm-hmm. And then it should, so be, it should not be strong. Yeah, it should be very dim. The, interestingly, the candle or the fire, they don't produce the same effect because I think our body adapted to candle and fire so far, but not to the artificial mm-hmm. light. So it should
0: be a, a lamp, like LED, LED lamp or like usual light bulb.
1: Yeah, but just not bright one.
0: Mm-hmm. should it be like white light yellow light it doesn't
1: matter as far as i know it doesn't really matter even though i've heard mm-hmm. about blue light being a bit more like negatively affecting dopamine and the whole cycle but as far as i understand and know it doesn't really matter i mean i think the most the biggest problem we have is not about the lights and lamps but it's about phones right uh, a lot mm-hmm. of people go to bed with their phones i mean myself included and they would just have high brightness and that is definitely not good for, for having like a healthy long sleep.
0: So do you have any recommendations when we should put away our phone? Like how long before going to bed?
1: I would say if I'm going to bed at like eight or sorry, if I'm going to bed at around 12 or 11, like after eight, I should not have a lot of light. Like if we mm-hmm. try to follow a natural order of things that, you know, the sunset would be around eight o'clock, then maybe after that, we do not want to get a lot of exposure to bright light
0: what about the phone like how i just decrease lightness on my phone and keep using it or what do i do
1: i usually put it on the minimum brightness
0: i think for me it's like the default level sometimes during the day i just cannot see anything
1: yeah but during the day it's okay to have a bright light it's good to have a Uh bright light in the morning it's just i just think about it like have a lot of light it's healthy for you and then as you go closer to the evening just have less light and that's fine
0: there's a question from lisa have you tried out those daylight lamps? Can you recommend any? My apartment is quite dark naturally and I was wondering about those daylight lamps.
1: Yeah, I didn't. I haven't tried any of them. yet. What is a daylight lamp
0: maybe? Do you know?
1: Yeah, so as far as I know, it's a lamp that's strong enough and that can imitate natural light pretty well. So they uh-huh. are using it in Scandinavian countries because you can have time in a year when it's very dark for a long period of time. So that's how you could kind of imitate the sun. I haven't used it, but I only heard good things about it, that it really helps. I also heard of an alarm clock that actually does not make the sound, but rather makes it bright in the room, so it's easier to mm-hmm. wake up. Yeah, Lisa, if you can maybe later tell me how it is, it would be nice. <laughs>
0: so for waking up, I I don't like this alarm that makes sound. I use vibration on my bracelet. Is it a good way of waking up, or...?
1: That I don't know, to be honest. I can tell you that light is definitely a good way to wake up.
0: This is how you wake up.
1: Yeah. And I also try to time my sleep so that I would sleep seven and a half hours or nine hours. And I've been doing it for years since my high school. Because we we have like good times to wake up and not so good times to wake up. Because our sleep goes in cycles. We start with like light sleep and we go into deep sleep. So I would usually just time my sleep and wake up in between the cycles. Because It's the easiest.
0: So, we talked about meditation, we talked about light, and then you said that sleep is the foundation of everything, right? So, we also probably need to talk a bit about that. Yeah. And, like, how it's it looks like you put quite a bit of effort, or at least it looks like that to me, to plan your sleep. You say, okay, I need to sleep at least this amount of time, or this amount of time. And it means if I want to wake up at seven o'clock, I need to go to bed at this time, right? Yeah. That's how you do it. More or less, yes.
1: So okay, Can you walk us through
0: the process? Yeah. Uh,
1: so again, I'm not an expert here. So when it comes to sleep cycles, I would mostly speak from my own experience. But I've noticed that, well, generally the foundational knowledge is that when we go to bed and we fall asleep, we naturally have a very light sleep. So we can easily be waking up. And then we, as the time goes by, we would go into a deep sleep. So our heart rate would be lower. We would have a slower breathing and so on and then as we go we stay in deep sleep and then we go back to like a very light sleep and we have a moment that's called rapid eye movement phase where we have again the blood pumps in very quickly we breathe a lot and we're ready to wake up and this whole cycle from going to light sleep to going to the deep sleep and going back for me it takes 90 minutes but i noticed for example that for my partner it's it's a bit longer so if it's a 90 minute cycle that means i can sleep One and a half hours, three hours, four and a half, six, and plus one and a half hours again, seven and a half or nine hours. And I noticed that it's better for me to sleep one cycle less than to sleep a cycle and a little bit more. For example, if I have an option to sleep eight and a half hours or seven and a half hours, I would rather choose seven and a half because then I would wake up in in between the cycles and I'll feel good. My body would be ready to wake up rather than waking up in the middle of the cycle in a deep sleep, and I would feel sleepy the whole day. So that's another kind of little tip, productivity tip I'm using.
0: Do you actually put any effort in planning this or for you, it happens naturally now? It's pretty
1: easy, to be honest. Like, I usually go to bed around... The too day. much
0: planning for me. In the evening, I'm tired. I just go to sleep. And then, okay, now I need to wake up at seven. So I just put my alarm clock at seven or eight or what, like six, whatever yeah. time I need to wake up. And that's it that's it otherwise you need to calculate like okay now it's like 11 and i need to wake up at six when do i need to wake up to feel good and then you start calculating all these sleep cycles and then it's evening you're tired
1: i think you if you really want to give it a shot calculating seven and a half hours or nine hours is not that difficult okay you know it's just like one mental like i don't know less than a minute okay so
0: like this is time now so you want to go to sleep now and then you expect that in 10 minutes you will fall asleep right. then you just take the time now plus 10 minutes and then add seven and a half hours to that time and this is the time you you set up your alarm
1: clock yeah exactly that's how
0: I- what if you wake up during the night
1: oh that happens sometimes then i would again try to just fall asleep maybe meditate a little bit to calm down breathe some fresh yeah. air because it's if it's very stressful, you know, sometimes I could wake up at like five and then it happens and it's okay. So mm-hmm. I would just try to go back to sleep. And mm-hmm. um, But do you
0: go to your alarm clock and adjust it?
1: I think so. Yeah.
0: I mean, But how do you know, like, if you will fall asleep now or in half an hour or in one hour?
1: I don't know. I mean, it doesn't really happen <laughs> that often. And if it does, Okay. Uh, try to minimize the light in the night and maximize the light in the morning because it will set you up for proper sleep in the next few days.
0: And by minimizing the light during the night, you mean do not look at your phone? Because otherwise, it's probably like dark anyways because it's night.
1: Yeah, that's good. But but I mean like before you go to sleep, right? Uh Because usually what I also noticed is that if you have a proper light, let's call it, diet right so a lot of light in the morning very little light in the evening it would usually only show itself only like one or two days so it's not an immediate effect because it's something that our body needs to be adjusted so yeah if you have like this cases very often that you wake up in the middle of the night just try to have a lot of light in the morning next day little light before going to bed or like almost no light and see for yourself maybe it will improve
0: yeah, so speaking about diet but the usual one another question we have is what about changes in your food intake for example, do you have any special food that supports
1: your concentration and energy levels? Oh I'm pretty sure that well I can share what I've learned about myself so far yeah exercise and nutrition is a very very important topic as well because it's proven again and again that it helps with focus and productivity and generally feels good <laughs> to exercise is a very healthy think it improves your cardiovascular disease your blood circulates better so you can do everything better what i am doing in particular is that i try to have enough protein because well protein is like a building block amino acids that create muscles and a lot of other important tissues in our body and also protein boosts dopamine as well so what i try to do is first of all i was tracking calories and i was tracking how much protein i was taking every day for almost a year now. I'm not doing it for the record for the last month or so, but I was doing it before. And I noticed that having a high-protein breakfast helps me to stay productive for the whole day.
0: Oh, can you give us an example of a high-protein breakfast?
1: Sure. Piece of meat? Well, meat, I don't like to eat meat for breakfast, but I like to eat cottage cheese, for example. Cottage cheese. And then the Greek yogurt is also high in protein. You can have some nuts, you can have eggs, for example soya and stuff like that they also have protein but what about cheesecake is it a good breakfast i don't know about that (laughs) usually there's protein protein too right it's it has cottage cheese yeah i mean i think it's okay i think you can actually eat whatever you want and if you have a goal of weight less sorry of weight loss then just Mm -hmm. make sure you eat less calories than you consume Mm-hmm. That you need, like that your body actually burns, and then you would lose weight. And having a cheesecake for breakfast, I think, is also fine.
0: Because it helps with dopamine too. Not only the protein part, but I guess the sugar part contributes more to that.
1: Yeah, that's true. But then you will have a lot of, I mean, this thing about biohacking for me is a lot about dopamine and how to manage it. And I would rather try to get dopamine from solving bugs than from eating sugar. You know? Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> Why? Why? Because, first of all, I think it's kind of a bug in our system that...
0: Like it becomes addictive, right? So then you get used to these dopamine shots from eating sugar and then it's easier, right?
1: Exactly. So that's why, you know, getting... I mean, social networks are so addictive because they also trigger our dopamine. And uh, that's why a lot of people procrastinate and, I don't know, watch YouTube videos or spend time in TikTok forever because it's easier way to get dopamine. So having moderation in these things actually help you to stay focused on what you really want to do and what you care about.
0: What do you think about these protein shakes? Like, are they good?
1: Oh yeah, depends on the shake, I guess. And uh, I am using one from time to time and it's pretty good. So it's like certified and stuff. And I'm also a big fan of protein pudding. That's like...
0: Protein pudding. What is a protein pudding?
1: Protein pudding is a pudding. With protein (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then it has like low calories but high amount of protein and it's pretty good so i eat that for example when i see i don't have enough protein for the day it helps me a lot as well
0: you heard somewhere that eating rice makes you sleepy did you ever notice anything
1: like that yeah like recently i just figured out that the biggest killer of my productivity is lunch So I'm actually trying to eat either nothing or very little for lunch. And then see, I I see myself that I can do more and study better and just stay a bit more focused so that I can later eat better in the evening. So if you have like a very, I don't know exactly the specifics and I don't remember it, but if you have a heavy meal, your body needs to process it, uh, Mm -hmm. to transform it into the energy. And
0: it's it's not about rice, but in general food, I think so. Yeah. So. I guess don't eat a lot of food for lunch.
1: I mean, rice. That's the conclusion. Yeah. But rice also is carbohydrates and they have (laughs) sugar. So it takes our body resources to transform it. And then, well, the the whole process is a bit complicated, but it's basically after you have a lot of sugar stuff, you have a sugar drop as well in your blood. And that's where you feel like a little bit slow and fatigued and tired. So Mm -hmm. that could be related to rice. Yeah.
0: I don't think I. Ever measured that i just eat rice and then i don't really know if it's rice that contributed to my low energy level or lack of sleep or i don't know lack of sun or whatever yeah okay, is there maybe it's like um we can talk about these attribution models right so how do you actually know that the thing you're doing the diet that you have actually contributes to your productivity or if it's something else how do you know that that's the science part you mentioned at the beginning right you just believe it
1: yeah. Well, when it comes to weight loss, for example, I was measuring myself all the time and I was weighting myself every single day and I was also taking pictures. So I could just see if it works or not, you know, based on data. When it comes to productivity, it's a little bit harder to to track it. I know that some people have the apps that ask you, how are you are feeling today? So you can just have logs, you know, of your, you know, you can basically give different ratings for myself, five stars. I feel amazing. I could, you know, Mm-hmm. Win the whole world or something. And then, if you another day, you would just feel low. I haven't been tracking that in terms of productivity, but I could, I have, you know, a self awareness and I can just sometimes see that, you know, I did a lot today and it was a great day. That's how I track it myself. So I, don't.
0: but how do you understand what actually contributed to having a good day and doing all the things during the day?
1: Well, I see if I introduced a new habit, for example, if it helped Last year, I had a lot of migraines. So I was also tracking if i you know and i have theories why my migraine is happening so i was having locks every day if i have migraine or not and if i didn't so if i did have migraines i would write down why it might happen so i noticed mm-hmm. going for walks for example and taking break from my screens helped me to have less migraines I, so i don't have a pro- ultimate productivity tip how to track your productivity levels but i think you can just assess it yourself and try things.
0: okay but the core like, the main point here is, I guess, you just need to somehow capture this data, track this data. If you don't, then, yeah, you, you don't really know what is happening.
1: That's true. I think that's...
0: I guess for data scientists, sounds natural, right?
1: Yeah. It's... Uh, I but it's not as
0: easy as collecting clicks on the
1: website, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, when I was doing weight loss and counting calories, I had to measure everything I eat or, like, estimate it. And that was a lot of effort. But you know what? We get used to stuff. And actually, if you have some routines and if you think it's really important for you, checking it, calculating how much time it takes is not really such a big effort. You know, we are doing so much more effort for so many other things. And when something Mm -hmm. becomes a habit, you don't really think about it. You just do it. So it's also a power of habits.
0: I'm curious, uh, were there any things that you tried, but you think they didn't
1: help? Yeah, for example, intermittent fasting is a thing that helps to stay alert. So if you want to study and you want to learn something, you need to be alert, so fully awake. And Intermediate
0: fasting means that you do not eat for a couple of days.
1: No, it means or... that you do not. So if you take 24 hours in a day, it means that, let's say, 18 hours, most part of the day you don't eat, and then you only eat within one window of the day. So let's say eat once per day basically you can eat once per day or twice per day, but only in those four hours or like six hours, mm-hmm. or eight hours. So I tried that, for example, and I saw I tried it for two weeks, which I think is long enough. And I just noticed that I have headaches. It just doesn't work for me. Maybe I should mm-hmm. stick to it a bit longer, but I haven't. Maybe I'll give it another shot. Mm-hmm.
0: If you have headaches, it kind of makes it difficult to stick longer. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's why I didn't. And I think it's also okay. Not everything has to work for you. Have you tried any of the stuff I mentioned with
0: you? Me? No, not really. Like, Well, I for sure tried cold showers once, or maybe twice. I did not like it. I think because uh, sometimes you go to LinkedIn and you see posts like, okay, I wake up at 5 a.m. and then the first thing I do is get in a cold shower, then I run, then I spend time with my family and I feel so awesome. Be like me, be awesome too. And then, uh, okay, maybe I should try cold showers too. <laughs> I just don't, uh, I don't know. They're not for me, I guess. Uh, it's just too cold. Other things, uh, you also mentioned sleeping, like these cycles, right? I don't think I tried that. Light, definitely not. Yeah, I don't think I tried anything of
1: what you mentioned. Okay. So it's a lot of things to try. Yeah, the thing <laughs> about cold showers and some other stuff that's clearly giving you discomfort. I think I'm actually a bit biased towards trying such things, you know, and limiting myself. Maybe it's also related to stoicism and this idea of voluntary discomfort, that we have so many things around us nowadays that you can just eat sugar and sugar and sugar and have dopamine all the time. And it's good to just sometimes, you know, stay away from it to kind of, well, scientifically to reset your dopamine levels and have like a weekend without dopamine, <laughs> or just to take something that you like about life away from you, just to see how it is without it. And I just personally like this kind Why of- would you do this?
0: <laughs> like, I don't know if you eat, if you like cheese, you just, okay, let's see how life is without cheese. And then, yeah, you do this for one month, and then you realize that life sucks without cheese, and you start eating cheese again.
1: I don't know. I have a, I like the idea that I can actually overcome difficulties in my life. Uh-huh. And if I and then you artificially create them, right? Yeah, sometimes, just to test myself. I mean, I like Very these good. different challenges, you know, I had a month without sugar last time, this month I'm doing a month without carbonated drinks, uh, for mm-hmm. example, So because I like carbonated drinks. This kind of stuff, sometimes for me, it's, it's fun. I do it just for fun to test myself. But I imagine that it could be boring or...
0: So if I want to see the effect of cold showers, for how long do I need to take them? And overcome my resistance to overcome my discomfort.
1: As long as you want,
0: <laughs> but if I don't,
1: <laughs> then uh, just don't do it.
0: <laughs> ah, okay, that's uh, it's that simple.
1: Yeah, I mean, nobody forces you to do any of this, right? It's just
0: like what if I want to be productive like these people on LinkedIn.
1: <laughs> I think you should be productive as much as you want yourself to be. So I would uh-huh. set my goal to be somebody else but just like see yourself and where you want to be and what you want to be like and then just work towards that i think that's a bit more healthy and more sustainable way okay Let's, uh
0: are there any risks of biohacking
1: yeah i guess as i said i'm not willing to try any stuff for example related to like drugs and medicines that hasn't been tested on humans but a lot of people do a lot of self-experimentation Like, I'm not doing that because I think I would rather do something that's safe and feels a bit more natural in the beginning. And then if I see that I want to do even more, then I, you know, I would go for something else. So, I mean, the stuff that I talked about, looking at the sun, you know, in the morning is pretty safe. Measuring how much you sleep is also pretty safe because you should sleep enough more than seven hours, more than eight hours. Eating less sugar is also pretty safe. Right, but in eating enough protein, also safe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, depends I mean, how much you already eat. Yeah, of course. I think try to be cautious about what you do, and uh, try to find like literature, or some credible sources that would tell you if it's healthy or not. Consult with your doctor if you if you're not sure about something, because pe- some people have conditions. For example, intermittent fasting doesn't work on some portion, you know, some percentage of people because they have some conditions, and it might be even dangerous. So it's a good idea to check with the doctor.
0: What do you think about coffee and tea? Like, are they helpful for productivity? Yeah. Co- Would you consider this biohacking? Having I think so.
1: Yeah. Morning? Yes. Coffee helps to increase alertness and remove sleepiness because it blocks receptor of the hormone I cannot recall right now. But it helps you to be less sleepy, basically. The only like issue with the coffee is that it can, again, reduce sleepiness and you would not fall asleep well. So you, you, it, you would, it would mess up your sleep cycles. And the general recommendation is not to have coffee after like 2 p.m. You know, or maybe after 12. I think everybody is different in, in how sensitive they are to one thing or another. So when you hear like sleep seven and a half hours, you know, for my girlfriend, it would be, actually be eight. And then can drink some something with coffee in that like 3 p.m. And I'll be fine. But for some other people, it could be even 4 p.m. or 2 p.m. I think coffee generally is not bad. It's a good stimulant and it can help you.
0: So we have quite a few questions. So maybe we should go through them. One interesting one is how do you measure productivity?
1: Yeah. As I said, I'm not that good at measuring <laughs> my productivity. I can just self-reflect at the end of the day. Did I do a lot or not? That's how I do it. I mean, I just open
0: a spreadsheet and then for each day, you know, like, did I do a lot? Yes, no. Like I did little, I did a moderate amount. I did a lot, right?
1: I I was having like this dashboard for myself in Notion when I would write down all the habits that I was trying to learn. And I was also tracking like, you know, if I had a productive day or not. But again, I didn't really stick with that, And I'm pretty sure there are apps that you can use to track your productivity, I would rather just look at my general feeling. Do I feel, did I feel productive or not? Did I have a lot of distractions or not? Could I stick to what I was doing or not? And for me, that's enough. So I would answer it.
0: Just curious, what were some of these habits in your notion document that you wanted to try?
1: Well, I can look it up, but it was definitely doing sports, drinking mm-hmm. water, and I think walking a certain number of steps a day. Because I would mm-hmm. just have, I was sitting a lot and... Uh, mm-hmm. I tried to go for walks more to just move my body so i was tracking that
0: so just these simple things and then you would in your notion you would note that okay like i was this day i walked my target level of steps and i felt good or whatever right
1: yeah i mean i think also measuring stuff you want to change well obviously it's important if you can't measure it you cannot change it I, I think like measuring it, not necessarily externally somewhere, but just in your brain, you know, did I feel productive is enough for some things. But when it comes to habit tracking, I think this is a really powerful tool. You know, if you can tie your results to some particular things in weight loss, it was tremendous, tremendously helpful for me. I would recommend you to do it. And again, it might seem like it's some work and we might feel lazy about it. But if you think, you know, I really want to do it, I really want to change it, then it doesn't feel like much. And you can get used to it pretty quickly.
0: Actually, you mentioned this voluntarily discomfort thing. So if you're okay with creating artificial challenges for yourself then and having fun while doing this, I guess it's also a mind shift, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> mind shift is a big role.
0: Now I'm taking away sugar. Let's have fun. Yeah.
1: Right.
0: Even though life without sugar might be a bit more sad.
1: Yeah, this mental model of like... I'm going to be good and feel good no matter what. And if there is a challenging or like risky thing, and I'm just going to take it as a champ, as I say, or you know, just trying to have fun with it, it's actually a really powerful tool. It's quite often, also with the dopamine and with sugar and everything, it's usually our perception of things that matter, but not the exact amount of things that we take or we do. So the perception is really, really strong. That's how our brain really decides if we... I mean, I'm I'm talking a bit abstract, but I hope you get what I mean.
0: Yeah, it's like staying positive no matter what, if the world is collapsing. And I'm wondering how do you actually make, how do you actually do this? Like, it's difficult, like when you see that everything is, how to say, like not everything goes according to plans and then, you know, life happens. And then how do you actually perceive things in a positive light? How do you stay, you know, how do you focus on the good things?
1: Yeah, I think that I wouldn't give advice, stay positive, even with what is done. <laughs> I don't think it's a good advice. I would just say... Be- Maybe I misunderstood you, studio, right? It was
0: a wrong conclusion. How did you say it?
1: Do you remember? I mean, I would say just be thankful for what you have and build on top of it. Okay. Because there's always going to be some things really, mm-hmm. really big and bad or like small and bad, but there also can be good things. So I'm trying to be thankful for what I have and then build from top of it no matter how bad it is
0: okay the stoicism part you mentioned right yeah do you can you recommend any book on stoicism like how to do this mindset shift
1: yeah like there's a meditations by marcus aurelius i believe who was a roman emperor and he was a very vivid stoic and that's pretty cool like even though he was an emperor isn't it Oh sorry it's quite an old book isn't it yeah it's like thousands years old but still very relevant surprisingly i think it was marcus aurelius who wrote meditations i'm, I'm not sure now but yeah marcus aurelius and meditations could be and or <laughs> that's very good
0: another question how do you manage your time between professional and personal daily life as an engineer i don't know if the end as an engineer part is important here but yeah how do you do this
1: i, try, I want to say i measure it pretty well I try to make a distinction. Like if I need to do some, I try to have some work-life balance. But for example, I also want to learn some stuff besides the job. So I think it's important for me to realize how much do I want to do something if I really have a desire to do it. And then if I do, then I will always find time and energy to do it. I think, yeah, It's if you want to ask how do you, how you should manage your normal life and like work life, just have a distinction first and see what you really do. What are your priorities? Like, I think last year or the year before, I wanted to focus on five things in life and just nothing else, like nothing else would bother me. There are so many topics, you know, that I always wanted to dive in. I could make a list of like 60 of them, but only five of them really mattered. And that was, for example, being with my friends and family more often and talking to them, like going for walks, doing sports, nutrition, and being productive at work and reaching my goals. So I will only focus on those and not try to do everything at once. And then if you if you feel blocked that you cannot manage everything, try to find something that you can manage and just build from it.
0: At the beginning of this interview, we talked about perfectionism. And then you said at the beginning that you managed to overcome it, to accept that it's okay to be not perfect. And the question we have is, how did you change your mindset to overcome perfection? Uh, because it's super hard for me. Yeah.
1: Yeah so i would say that perfectionism <laughs> comes from to overcome it you need to understand two things and really accept them first that accept that nobody is perfect and accept that you are not perfect and that it's okay so accept yourself as you are and accept others as they are and see your own path in life um- simple
0: but I guess it's more there is more to that than just okay now I accept and now my life is different right so how do you actually accept it is it like the meditation part that you mentioned at the beginning
1: no i mean i think it took a psychologist to work with me in order to for me to accept these things and understand them deeply one exercise i did exercise i did that really helped me i think is looking at my past self and my future self and talking to myself what is the advice you would give to you five-year-old for you being five-year-old or like for you being 15-year-old or 30 or 45 or 50 and so on how would you talk to yourself like if you would look at your old pictures would you tell that hey you are not perfect you did this painting but it's not perfect no you just really accept yourself when you're young and you know you have kindness and love in your heart so i think if you try to do this exercise look at your old pictures it's really really powerful and definitely changed a lot for me Then another question
0: is, I was going to ask this question anyways, but since it's coming from, so which book would you recommend to learn more about biohacking? Anything special for data scientists or ML engineers by any chance?
1: Yeah, I would recommend not a book, but a podcast. And it's called Huberman Lab Podcast by Andrew Huberman. It has a lot of episodes about pretty much everything or a lot of things related to, you know, healthy, healthy, work of mind and body and hormones and what are the behaviors and protocols you want to do. I'm a big fan. And most of the stuff I learned was from him, even though I also were reading some other books. So if I would just recommend one thing, it would be this for sure. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, please give us a link. But it's Huberman lab,
1: right? Huberman lab. I mean, I as a data scientist was mostly interested in learning in the beginning, how do I accelerate my learning and so on? What does the science know about learning and all of the other things so that's how i started watching the episodes and fell in love with the whole topic and then extended it to more areas you know like body and stuff
0: maybe can you also send us the list of your i don't know top three or top two or i don't know the single most favorite one episode
1: yeah sure we have them in mind already so i'll do it okay
0: good so we will include that in the show notes I think that's all we have time for today. We actually wanted to cover a lot more. That was uh, quite ambitious, but yeah, that was fun. So thanks a lot for joining us today. Thanks for sharing all these tips and talking about your story. Yeah, I have a lot of notes. Thanks for joining us today.
1: It's my pleasure and I really hope that even though some of these things are obvious, actually can help someone to have a better life. That would make me happy.
0: I'll need to think how I can have more daylight in the morning. That's a key takeaway i guess for me
1: okay okay yeah
0: thanks for this discussion thanks everyone for joining us today and yeah i guess that's it have a great day everyone
1: yeah bye-bye thanks a lot for tuning in